0: Aloha, everybody. This is Q, the Abolitionist. I was a guest on uh, the Two Things Podcast, a YouTube channel, um, a while back, where the host, Josh the Outspoken, you can follow him on Twitter, at Josh M underscore TTT, invited me, and uh, and Kevin Lee. You can follow Kevin at Kevin Lee Show, another podcaster. And uh, his, his show is called The Kevin Lee Show, obviously. Uh, we both came on the Two Things Podcast, where we discussed um basic two things you're not supposed to talk about religion and politics and you know how i like to do things i'm i I, that's all i do is i talk about religion and politics and so we had an opportunity to really get down in the weeds with uh libertarian philosophy and how it overlaps with christian ideology um i hope you enjoyed the show i had a great time great dudes both of them wonderful time talking to them and uh, really hope that we get to do something like that again. But I uh, wanted to release it for you guys so that you can listen to it. And please go follow this. Subscribe to this uh, you know, this podcast, The Two Things, on, uh, on YouTube. Subscribe to that channel and follow Josh and Kevin on Twitter as well. Great views. Have a great time.
1: Welcome, guys, to the to the show. It's uh, it's great to have you both on the two things you shouldn't talk about podcast. Um, so for anyone that uh, isn't familiar with my two guests, I'll let you just go around and do a bit of an intro on, on who you guys are and what your backgrounds are. So let's start off with uh, with you, Q. What, uh, would you just give a little bit of an intro on yourself?
0: Yeah. Hey, uh, so I'm, I'm Q, the abolitionist. I'm one of the co-hosts of uh, Unshackled Liberty podcast. Um, we were going to talk a little bit about uh, what, what do you want to talk about? the, the Christ, christianity and libertarianism is that yeah is that's that, the yeah. general
1: theme yeah okay. we're we're kind of all on the the spectrum of of libertarian i would say um, would it
0: would it be appropriate to give my 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 background of faith and my background of politics in this okay so um i come from the uh from the baptist um theology of christianity independent baptist specifically i got saved i was 16 years old uh so um and uh, in in that i've, I've been a uh, you know you're you're in northern ireland so i don't know what what yeah. all of your po- political affiliations are like there but uh for anybody in the states who might be listening i was uh, a a card carrying neocon for the better part of my adult life um, and uh recently <clears throat> excuse me sorry about that during the 2016 presidential run um i just i couldn't get on board with uh with trump just couldn't do it mm. and uh and of course hillary was out and so i started looking for other options and then and then the, you know, the Libertarian Party popped up. And as I studied libertarianism, I moved on mm-hmm. from partisan politics altogether. I'm, I'm, I consider myself a voluntarist or an abolitionist now where I've just, I'm, uh, you know, the, the dirty word is anarchist, right? You know, because yeah. that, <laughs> that, that carries a lot of different connotations from a lot for a lot of different people, but but I think it's cleaner to just say abolitionist or voluntarist. So that's kind of yeah. where I'm, where, where I come from. That's my, that's my line. Um, that's the road I'm on right now and. Awesome. And, uh, I'm just appreciative of the opportunity to come onto your show and uh, and have this conversation.
1: Yeah, so before we move on, uh, give us a little bit of a rundown of some of those terms that you threw out, some of
0: the jargon. So we'll start with neocon. So anyone that yeah. doesn't know what neocon means, so it's like a, it's like a with a neoconservative, right? So um, these are these are your na- you know these are your nationalists nowadays in the United States. These are the guys who are you know on Team Red um, right. Flag, flag waving members of, 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 the Trump, the Trump team. And, and, uh, uh, they, they, they believe in a police state and strong borders and strong national security. And a lot of times when you look at that just kind of on its face, at least for me, I was like, well, that kind of makes sense. We want to be safe. We want to be protected. We want to, you know, have, have law and order and all that, and all that stuff. But when you take a deeper dive into what all that means and the stuff that you have to do to implement, mm-hmm. implement the, these, these policies, it's a, it's not liberty, that's for sure. A little bit of a catch, you know? yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's, so that's, that's what got me, mostly.
1: Okay. And then, uh, so you said as well about abolitionists and uh, what was the other one you said? Voluntaryism, Yeah, voluntarists, Volunt- Volunt- yeah. voluntarist. Yeah. voluntarist. Um, so what are those two guys?
0: So vol- a voluntarist is somebody who believes that all human interaction should be voluntary in nature. Um, that the fact that, and this is a great opportunity, like you and I are having this conversation, we're having this show. Uh, mm-hmm. If either one of us decided that we didn't want to do it, well, we wouldn't it would it. Just log out. it. We yeah. just walk away. Right. So, and, uh, and that, that's the principle. So that, that, that's those, that's market economics, you know, those two, a buyer and a seller coming to a mutual mm-hmm. agreement, you know, um, and that's all human interaction. So, uh, when the state, the state is coercion, right? That's what it is. Government is coercion. They have a monopoly on force. And, and so all of the interaction with the state is, um, based on the barrel of a gun. So that's okay. not, that's not voluntary. Right. So I kind of, yeah. am the op- yeah, I'm the opposite of that. And the word abolitionist comes from, um, you know, America, ha- America has a slave history, right? Yeah. Uh, we, you know, we, we were a slave country and we owned, we owned, I say, we, I didn't, I never did. I don't, <laughs> yeah. you know, but, uh, you know, historically, well, some, some people yeah.
1: these days would, would
0: like to what, tell you that what, you were complicit otherwise. in yeah. this. Somehow. <laughs> yeah. Somehow, yeah. 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 But, uh, I say we because I'm an American this is where I'm from and and our history is such that uh it, it was common practice to own black african slaves and mm-hmm. actually it was common practice for a while to have irish slaves too it's much less much less publicized but mm-hmm. uh but you know that 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 was the norm in fact um if i recall correctly irish slaves were Were cheaper and more disposable than than African slaves uh, when when there were when there were Irish slaves. But um, you know, I just you know that's that's one of those things. But um, so the term comes from that. And you know, the abolitionist movement was to abolish slavery, and Mm. I still feel the same way. And that the state we have moved on. We have universalized slavery in 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 the United States Uh, instead of having black African slaves, which was just as it was which was immoral. I'm not advocating for that at all. Right. Yeah. Um. We, we, have, we have universalized that. So uh, we have debt slaves and we have tax slaves and that's what we are. We live on a tax ranch and we are tax cattle. And so uh, the term abolitionist is, or the word abolitionist is geared towards abolishing the state or abolishing the plantation owners, right? right. The ruling class, so. Interesting. So that's my perspective. Awesome. Sorry. I don't know. Yeah. If I, that, that took a lot long. <laughs> that's no, a pretty not. long introduction for you. I'm sorry about that.
1: Yeah. Well, we might as well get, get all the stuff explained before we yeah. get fully yeah. started. So awesome. Uh, let's go to Kevin then. So welcome, Kevin. Uh, give us a bit of a rundown on who you are
2: and what you're all about. Absolutely. Well, so first off, thank you for having me on. And uh, I have to say I agree with a lot of what Q had to say there. Um, as far as my history goes, I've spent my whole adult life, at least, if not even longer than that, kind of almost in the desert when it comes to politics. I right. was raised in a household that was more democratic. I had other family members and, and friends who were Republican, kind of wafting back and forth because I, I had things in my life that I agreed with on the left and things on the right. And I just never really found a home anywhere. So I gave up on politics for a number of years. Hmm. Um, eventually, probably in about 2012, I almost turned my back on politics completely. But then I started discovering people who were in the libertarian party. I started investigating a little bit, but then I would, you know, life got in the way and then, you know, kids got in the way careers. And then I would would back off for a while, but then I started doing a deeper dive as time went on and very similar about 2016. um, It really caught my attention. What was going on in the U S and with politics. And I realized there's no way I could be part of either of the left or the right party. Mm. Um, And that's when I started doing a deeper dive into libertarianism. And, And actually I just recently can, uh, um, threw my head into the ring, I guess you would say, as a Libertarian. So I'm still a fairly right. new Libertarian. Um, now, as far as my faith goes, that's actually uh, even more uh, convoluted, if you will. <laughs> I was raised in a Catholic home, um, didn't really stick. We, we uh, I liked things about the, the religion, but I, we, we never really seemed to practice religion. It was just we went to church, mm-hmm. we did the, 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 the holy holidays, and that was about it. Um, no one else really seemed to act. Or behave like, say, Jesus would. Right. (laughs) So because of this, I always kind of found myself distant. Now, I went through most of my uh, adolescence and and early adulthood being irreligious, uh, but always having a draw towards the Bible, always having the draw towards wanting to attend a church. And then finally, when I was about 28, 29 years old, I started to attend a church. And then that's when I did, I was just encapsulated with it. I was around a lot of people who I've been walking with Jesus for decades, um, pastors and teachers. Uh, I, I found myself in a very fortunate situation where I was surrounded by a bunch of mature Christians who were able to help me understand things and answer questions. And because of that, I became a full-fledged Christian, I would say, when I'm about 29, 30 years old. And I haven't looked back since. Hmm. Now, as far as my podcasting goes, I, I do do a show about libertarianism. Uh, it's a one, one once-a-week show, but again, this is a show designed to go into doing a deeper dive of what it means to be a libertarian because i know even i have many questions and the more libertarians i i meet the the more i realize we all have differing opinions there might be a basic set of tenets that we kind of believe in about Mm -hmm. self-ownership personal responsibility these sort of things um but there's a lot of gray area and because of that i know there's a lot of room for a lot of wiggle room if you will Mm -hmm. to discover what it means to be a libertarian
1: yeah i was gonna ask was your show like is it a learning process for you as well because you mentioned that you're a fairly young libertarian. So this is, clear, this is you exploring your views through these shows?
2: Absolutely, 100%. So, I mean, there's things where I've, you know, just started the podcast about two months ago. And I mean, before then, like I said, I was doing a far deeper dive about, you know, a few months before that. But there are things that I'm learning that I didn't know. And not that I even fully agree with either. I mean, there are things within the libertarian platform, which I understand where they're coming from but I can't 100% support, but I, you know, I support 98% of the platform. Right. That sort of thing. So there is a lot that I am learning as we go along.
3: Hmm.
1: Yeah. And, uh, so Q, what's the rough sort of topic? Like what what's the rough, um, area that your show is exploring then in terms of libertarianism, is it everything or is it, uh, just, you know, having a bit of a, having a
0: bit of banter between the guests or what do you tend to explore in your show? We're a, we're a variety show actually. Um, so we we want to just talk about everything man uh you know we 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 go into whatever we can and find find a libertarian angle on on it uh we just recently recorded a show on uh, a debate basically um about Mm -hmm. bottom bottom unity and uh whether right or right and left libertarians could ever get together get along and and unite to unite to kind of like uh uh you know from our perspective get rid of the state altogether but but from a minarchist perspective, perhaps uh, just, mm. you know, limit or minimize the size of the state. Right. So, um, and you know, so yep. we, we did a whole, we did a whole debate on that. And, and later, wow. later today, actually I'll be, uh, having a conversation with Lynn Ulbricht. Um, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with Ross Ulbricht and his story with the Silk Road. Uh, but uh, we'll be talking about if you hear a dog barking in the background, I do this <laughs> in the living room. So I'm sorry yeah. about that. Yeah. But, uh, Uh, I'll try to mute my mic when I'm not talking to keep the background noise. No worries. No, don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) So you might, you might hear my dog in the background. I mean, I'll,
1: I'll be honest (laughs) with you. The whole concept of left libertarianism makes little to no sense to me purely because I guess the left side of things by nature involves state control. Would you, is that, would you agree with that?
0: (laughs) Yeah. So there's, there's, there's a lot of varying arguments. One of the things that we found in the, in the discussion was, um, a lot of the words that are being used have different definitions based on who's using them. Right. Right. Like uh, I, you know, I like from the, from my perspective, private property is an, is an inherent, unalienable right. Right. Like we, that, if mm-hmm. I have private property, it's mine, I own mm-hmm. it. And, and yeah. uh, um, there's a whole lot of discussion about uh, what private property actually is on the left. For me, it's anything except for another person, right? Like, you know, right. I, you know, every, every, every human being has, has the right to self-ownership. So, so I can't mm-hmm. own another mm-hmm. person, right? Like, and nor, nor would I want to, but, um, and you know, but then so you get to the left and you start talking about private property versus personal property. And people would argue that land is, you know, rent is theft, you know, land ownership is theft. And, mm-hmm. uh, so you're right. It kind of gets a little, little convoluted right to left on, on, on who believes what, um, yeah but you know if you're if you're like an anarcho-communist i guess maybe uh you know which i'm not one but but or a syndicalist or some of these other flavors of of anarcho whatever right and this is like on the extreme this is on the extreme bottom end of the libertarian spectrum right so yeah um right or left of course you you could you could make an argument or at least i could make an argument of why somebody would want to get together with a bunch of friends you know pool all of their resources go buy a piece of land somewhere that's their property and live communally though within the bounds of their own right commune so to speak they could have their they could have whatever communist life they want now the the market guy in me goes okay you're gonna last about six months (laughs) you're gonna find out that nobody wants to work because everything's free with quotes right what's free and then uh and then you're all going to be starving you're going to ask for help from the from the market community right next door. (laughs) And this is the thing. I mean, uh, to me,
1: whatever, whenever I hear, especially Christians talking about um, Christian views on socialism and even communism, um, I think to me, my theology would sort of dictate that that can't really work merely because we're all flawed and sinful. Therefore, if you go by a system that involves sort of willful, generosity and you know giving of your stuff to help the you know the the commune or the to help society then that's not really going to work because there's always going to be people that abuse that just by nature we're sinful and have a a sinful nature and there's always going to be abuse of that system so to me it doesn't really make sense on how that works especially sort of theologically if you think of i mean i guess this is a a more calvinist sort of view i suppose of humanity but i guess um you know just from having a sinful nature is it really feasible to, to, to trust people to be able to operate a, a system like that, especially on the bottom left of, of things? Because yeah. you, know, would... you can, the sort of top left, you know, you can maybe understand because it's not voluntary at all, really. But I don't know if the, the bottom left really could work, you know, when you think of it theologically almost.
0: You'd have to have everybody operating in an altruistic, you know, uh, mindset, right? And, and that we just know that doesn't happen. And, and even, you know, if you're a Christian specifically, and you look at some of the parables, right? Like, um, well, just out of the, I just, just out of thin air, the, the, the uh, you know, the, the good Samaritan, mm-hmm. you know, here's a guy that voluntarily was acting of his own free will of his own good nature to help somebody else. There was no mm-hmm. state coercion to force him to do that. Right. So, but that's one person. And, uh, and then you yeah. look at the, the, the parable of the, of the, of the talents, right. The, all the, the, the three servants, one got five talents, one mm-hmm. got 10 talents, one got one talent, right. The guy that did yeah. nothing with it and just kind of like buried it and held on to it to give it back mm-hmm. to his master. Well, he was the wicked servant, but the two that actually multiplied their talents through, you know, and this is a little bit of speculation, but through market exchange, right. Through, you know, trading of goods Investment, and services, yeah. investments and things like that. Well, they were the, they were the the favorable servants. Right. And so, mm. <clears throat> now this is a little bit of a stretch, but I don't think much of a stretch. Um, I think that shows, that shows a, you know, that shows a market leaning of Christ, mm. you know, uh, now I'm sure yeah. now the, 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 greater lesson of the, of that specific parable was, was about your, um, your, your spiritual gifts and your talents <laughs> that you have to minister to other people. Yep, but, and resources. Yeah. yeah. But you and your resources, right? So, but, it shows an investment mind, right? And I think mm-hmm. that that's that, that. I think that shows a little bit of the heart of God, at least from a from a voluntary market exchange perspective. I, I could mm-hmm. be wrong, you know, but that's just kind of that's what I read in it. And, and I try when you know, like I'm sure both of you guys, or at least when I try and read uh, my scripture, I try not to do it with. I try to be objective and not have mm-hmm. I'm not and try not to make the scripture fit my personal view because, yeah, let's be honest, just like you said uh, none of us are righteous. We're all going to, we're all, we're all sinful. And Mm -hmm. uh, my personal view could be very flawed. And that's why I need to read scripture anyway. And Mm -hmm. to, to help that kind of wash over me and, 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 and cover the way and cover me and my sin and help me understand how to, how to operate in this dark world. Um, and frankly, it's why I need a savior to begin with, you know, so yeah
1: kevin do you see a, a faith um justification for some of the things you've ended up believing or did faith play a part in all at all in your journey of um discovering libertarianism and and how
2: you fit into that spectrum um well yeah actually the thing is and i'm gonna steal a quote here from uh, uh, c.s lewis because i love him and he, yep. he's, he's got a lot of great quotes but he said uh i believe in christianity as I believe in the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. Mm-hmm. And that to me is kind of just a model of my life. Ever since I became a Christian, ever since I started following Jesus, I've realized that not everything is the way the world wants it to be. And not, and not everything is, should be the way that, the, that many people in the world, in the secular world want it to be. And, and as someone of faith, of someone who follows you know, Christ, someone who tries to uh, study the Bible, um, put my life into that path. I've learned that um, philosophically, when it comes to my my political philosophy, I have limitations on what I can and can't support, right? So again, perfectly speaking about like the the, uh, Libertarian Party, right? I love the Libertarian Party 98% of the time. Obviously, I have problems with the Democratic Party, I have problems with the Republican Party, but when it comes to the Libertarian Party, I, I, I respect and agree with most of it. But say, for instance, they have a stance on abortion, right? Now, their stance on abortion might be a fairly neutral one, about as neutral as you can be. Basically, the way that it's written out on the party platform, it says something on the lines like um, that everyone needs to decide in good conscience what they want to do and the government should have no role. And I agree with that 100%, but as someone who is uh, feel, feels as though I am connected to, you know, the, the kingdom of heaven and, and God and Jesus, I feel that I can't be quiet on certain things, especially something that might go against teaching of the Bible, teaching of, 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 of my faith, as well as, um, you know, for argument's sake, you know, in my opinion, abortion is, it, it, it violates the NAP the non-aggression principle, because we're talking about another person inside of, a, right. inside of another person.
1: Well, this is the perspective on on whether, you know, an unborn child is a human life really plays a, a gigantic part in how you view abortion
2: as a principle of liberty, liberty really, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, 100%, so. and I understand there are going to be people who are not inside the faith who will just think that a baby is just an inconvenience at this time, or not a baby, but an unborn mass yeah. of cells, a fetus, if you will, um, even though, of course, fetus means unborn human offspring, but still. SSI size a the point. Um, there is, you know, it's just the idea that even within the Libertarian Party, again, not everyone is going to have a religious faith. So I understand that not everyone agrees with that, but I have trouble supporting it partially because I'm a Christian, but also partially because of the fact that I do believe it violates the NAP because life is life and that life mm-hmm. is independent. I mean, we now know through things, thanks to science, we now know that when it comes to an unborn baby isn't just a mass of cells and one day it's born. We know that there's a development period, development period. And we now know that by 10, 11, 12 weeks, an unborn child has fully formed body, two arms, two legs, 10 fingers, 10 toes, independent, uh, heartbeats, it's own blood type. You know what I mean? It's, it's its own being. Mm -hmm. Um, so because of that, you know, I find myself sometimes at odds with certain people within the libertarian party, again, just from the NAP that the, the yep. uh, perspective as well as in addition to the faith issue. Hmm. Yeah,
1: it's, um, I mean, people kind of lump the abortion question in with um, things like gay marriage and, and drugs in terms of things that are, uh, that were considered taboo topics, but now are being explored. And I don't know if that's necessarily a, a good way to look at them because I don't think they're necessarily equivalent in terms of, um, I guess you'd say, victimless crimes you know you could say that uh, gay marriage and, and lesbians getting married that is what you you can consider that a victimless crime you might not agree with it spiritually but it doesn't really affect too much it might people might argue that it affects society's fabric in certain ways but um, all in all it doesn't it doesn't affect me too much what someone else does in terms of, in their bedroom or in, uh, how they get married or whatever uh, same with with drugs I mean there's obviously different categories but um, you could look at at marijuana and see it as something that people can do in their own home and doesn't affect too many people in most cases. Um, but where you, when you look at um, abortion, I guess if you if you view that uh, the unborn child as a human being, then I guess you're kind of compelled to make the case that that is a its own distinct person with its own distinct rights. And and uh, how like I said, how you view that uh, fetus really. The, it, it changes a lot in how you view things because if it, if you see it as uh, not being a person until it's born then obviously you can have the view that it's pretty disposable but um it's interesting to talk to people about their reasoning behind it because for a long time I just stayed silent on the on the topic because I didn't really want to weigh it in where I wasn't really an expert but um I like to hear other people's perspectives and what they what they think on this but um would you agree that there's this they seem to be lumped in as, as the same kind of the same issues in terms of rights but um in your case obviously you believe that that's a very distinct uh issue to talk about really abortion
2: well sure i mean i understand why people would or could you know conflate all those issues together but if you really think of it those issues like you said are about the individual so when someone wants to take drugs it's about them taking drugs if you know someone wants to do something which i believe might be against the bible but it's they're doing it they're not, it's their conscience it's their issue. That's fine. They can do that. But when it comes to an unborn child, again, that's an individual that is apart from the mother. You know, we, the thing is, is that most people realize or believe or are under the impression that when a baby is forming, it's gotta be about 40 weeks before it can be born. Otherwise it doesn't matter. But we now know, um, and have proven time and time again, that we can actually deliver and save a baby as early as 20 weeks and do it fairly consistently. So at what point is it no longer, part of the mother at one point, you know, it's either it is or it isn't. So I believe it's an independent being, um, personally speaking, but again, with those other issues, those are, those are people making decisions for themselves. Mm -hmm. And I, and I do, I do fully respect that there are people who will look at a pregnancy or a woman has a choice of it's her body. I, and I understand where they're coming from. I just don't happen to agree on, 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 on a philosophical level or physiological level.
3: Mm.
1: So do you believe then that um, in terms of politically that um, that you can you can almost agree that that people have the right to do it but you can't stay silent on it is that where you're at or would you say that you're a vocal opponent of that being considered you know as part of the party platform
2: right um I do agree that people have the right to do it it is legal um, I, I, I don't. I don't encourage people to get one. I don't believe it's the right thing to do. If you come to me, I'm going to tell you that. But I'm mm-hmm. not going to stop you from doing it. It is legal. Right. Maybe one day, if enough people change their mind and decide that they don't want to do it anymore, don't want to have it to be an option. And again, I used to work in a hospital. I used to work in in surgery, and we did a lot of quote unquote abortions, but really they weren't. There were what's called D and Cs or, or or dilation and curettages or ectopic pregnancies. Now right. these are these are obviously either pregnancies that have already ended and they're just being removed or an unviable pregnancy. Um, But I can understand, you know, when you speak of a medical issue that someone would have to get an abortion. I understand that. I understand that um, you will have people who will make an argument saying, well, if it's before this time, it doesn't really count because, you know, it's not really anything. And I understand where they're coming from. I just don't happen to agree um, and again, I wouldn't stop anyone at this point. Again, it is law and I think it should be legal and it should be safe when people get one. I mean, you know, it's kind of terrifying to think if we went back to the 1960s and people were having back alley abortions again, how many people would die? This that, being said, that being said, I just, you can keep it legal all you want. I just think if if enough people understood what was going on, understood the process, they would hopefully not want to get an abortion hmm.
1: and do you do you not think then we're compelled to to make the case for uh, the unborn as if you know as if it was an act of murder because if you think of it if you're thinking of that unborn child as its own distinct person um what is the distinction between you know the the killing of that person and the killing of another random person on the street so why should one be legal and one not
2: Correct, no, and absolutely. I mean, I don't think any of it should be legal, but considering it is, I can't stop it. That right. being said, I do advocate for promoting laws that would um, prevent it, but again, this has, it has to be a choice of, of 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 enough people. It can't just be me yeah. and ten friends telling the whole world you can't do this. If we get enough people on board, if we get enough people to understand what an unborn baby is, if we get them to understand what you know what is going on i personally feel convicted to, to advocate mm-hmm. for you know passing laws eventually but again we're not there not today um, and i'm not uh, i'm sort of playing a little bit of devil's advocate although
1: maybe that phrase is slightly ironic in terms of this uh, conversation <laughs> but um yeah i'm not gonna say my per- personal perspective because i'm i mean i'm not really sure other than i don't think it's right i'm not sure exactly where i fit on the on the legal spectrum of what should be legal and what shouldn't and what should be available but um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to tease out really where you stand on this. So I'm not, uh, I'm only sort of challenging the challenging you on this, but, um, Q, what's your opinion on all this, uh,
0: all this topic? <laughs> well, well, I'll tell you, uh, there's a couple of different issues at play with, with this particular topic. Um, one is, is rights versus responsibilities. And, uh, so without a doubt, hundred percent, I believe in 100% bodily autonomy of the individual, um to include the decision whether or not to engage in activities that have consequences. And, uh, so you choose to do drugs, you deal with those consequences, you choose to drink and drive, you deal with those consequences. You, in and, 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 and which case, if you kill somebody behind the wheel because you are driving recklessly because you're intoxicated, you deal with those consequences. If you choose to have intercourse, you choose to accept those consequences. Um, rights and responsibilities and maybe some people will look at that and go okay well i'm a guy right i what what are the consequences for me well the consequences for me and and this is i chose this life so this is a decision that i made with my wife we're married happily for 22 years we have three kids i just sent one to college i have two daughters and a son um my oldest is uh is 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 a a girl so a young lady i'm sorry she's in college And uh, I've got another one who's a sophomore in high school, and another and a boy now who is in the fourth grade right behind her. So, um, I look at that from a perspective of a father and how do I raise my daughters? How do I raise my son? Rights versus responsibility. Certainly, they have bodily autonomy and they can do whatever they want within within the reason within within the confines of not causing a victim, right? Right. Um, They have to square that with their God. If they we're talking Christians now, right? So. If yeah. they're going to go off and be promiscuous or have unprotected sex or do things that are going to present the situation where they are now with child, well, that's a responsibility that they take mm-hmm. that child that they that child that they made through the reproductive act of intercourse uh, didn't have a vote in being created you know they didn't get to say, "Hey, I want to be here they just they just they just became yeah. You know, they just, they're just here. And so now now there's a, there's a, there's a contract there between mother and child. She created this child. She's responsible for the life of this child up to the point to where this child can take care of itself. Mm. That's my perspective. Um, But then you you would
1: say is a moral contract, I guess.
0: This is, this is an implicit contract. I would say that this is a, this is a contract um, between mother and child. And, and for that, for that matter, between father and child as well. You know, the, it takes two to tango, right? So, um, that's an unpopular position a lot of people would take. I'm very pro-life, and I look at it, obviously, from a biblical perspective, from a moral perspective, but also from a legal perspective. Like, like you know, anarchy doesn't mean no rules. It just means no rulers, right? Like, And, uh, you know, so that's, that's a spectrum of, of, of libertarianism that I'm at, is 100% liberty. But at some point, you have to deal with the responsibility. And the, we're never going to get there if we don't recognize the fact that um, – Liberty is a two sided coin. You have, you have mm-hmm. freedom and rights on one side and then you have responsibilities on the other. And uh, when you do something that creates a person, you're responsible for the life and welfare of that person up to the point to where that person can take care of itself. But yeah. then, but then, like we said earlier, like I, I believe earlier, the state has a monopoly on violence. And so when you say there ought to be a law what we're saying is you ought to be able to put somebody in a cage for doing X, you know, so should, should, should we, should I believe that somebody who has an abortion be locked, uh, locked up in a cage for that action? Um, No, but I also, but I also believe that I shouldn't have to support them in that action. I shouldn't have to uh, remember I'm a voluntarist. I believe in voluntary human interaction, right? So if this person is going to abort their child, um maybe i don't want to affiliate myself with this person right and yeah that's my, that, that's kind of where i'm at with yeah it, you know? yeah my my question was i
1: guess as a natural follow-on question to um when you when you were talking about it being a contract uh my question was number one says who and number two so what so if you say this is a contract between mother and child um if, if we believe that that child has uh, a moral value or you know a, a value in terms of it being a person um, as you consider yourself a you know libertarian how would you then what 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 are the, what are the consequences of of just going out and having an abortion should there be any consequences well, or- i
0: I alluded to that earlier it's like I don't think the state should lock somebody up yeah right um, for that but I also don't feel like uh, we should we should have to tolerate it I'm not going to, you know, and, you know, if I know somebody or I'm aware of somebody who's, who's, who's being reckless in that, in that behavior, then why would I, you know, want to affiliate yeah. myself with them? You know, do
1: you believe there's any
0: lock upable offenses? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So when you say about that, well, the when seat. there's a
0: vi- you know, and so like, yeah. So I mean, maybe so crime and punishment, right. So that kind of mindset. So like, we should be looking more towards you know restoration of the offense yeah so where there's where there's a victim somebody should receive restitution right so if you've killed somebody then the restitution or the or the uh the restoration should be geared towards the people who are left behind family and close friends um hard to do that hard to say what that is with an abortion right because because the family and close friends would be well the the, the, perpetrator. The, the the one who's perpetrating the crime, right. With quotes, right. The crime itself of abortion. Um, so how do you make, how do you make mom whole if she's the one that's, that's, that's exercising um, this action. Mm. So that, that's where it kind of gets sticky and, and it's not, it's not clean, right. A lot of these Liberty things are very dirty and when you get down into like, how do you, where do you draw the line and, and rights versus responsibilities and, and uh, man, you yeah. know, you know, I, you know, I yeah. You asked a blanket question. Are there lock offenses? <laughs> yeah, there are. What are they? Well, who's the victim, right? That's the first right. question you ask is, is, is there a victim? Well, then even now we can start going down that road is how do we make the victim whole? Um, and in almost anything else, <clears throat> murder gets sticky because obviously the victim is dead, but you leave behind a trail mm-hmm. of other victims. Yeah. Um, theft is very clean, right? You stole something yeah. from somebody. So you repay what you stole make them whole again um so it's uh you know some of these things get pretty sticky so that's that's a Mm. good question i don't have a clean answer for (laughs) let's let's roll it back a bit so i'll go to you kevin on
1: this first so let's talk about then the state so we're talking about i guess uh punishment for for crime but if we talk about the role of the state in in general what would your opinion be on the existence of the state and i'm guessing you probably both will have slightly different perspectives on this but
2: uh, kevin what's your perspective on that question well, as being someone who was, you know, born and raised with a state, it's, it's kind of hard to imagine not having a state at all, right? Um, I do support, ultimately, at some point in down the road, a voluntary society. I think that could eventually be achieved. But in my lifetime, I don't believe that's a possibility. I believe we should be taking the steps to work towards that. So to begin with, we should start pulling back the rights of the states of of overregulation, having, you know, I can't even tell you how many agencies are within the U.S. government that are absolutely unnecessary and even things like you know things that they shouldn't even be dealing with like the uh, uh, ATF you know the alcohol tobacco and firearms division shouldn't even exist things like this we have to start peeling these things back layer by layer Um, I think eventually uh, even within our lifetime within my lifetime I believe we could get to a point where we are almost like a a, a minarchist society where we're night watchmen right We have a a society in which there is a government that exists, but only for the purposes of protecting us from outside forces, and essentially protecting us from each other. We'll have court systems, um, some police to enforce these laws. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, there wouldn't be a whole lot. I I, I don't think we need them involved in our schools, for instance, like some people may or may 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 not know that in the United States, we have a Department of Education I'm older than the Department of Education, so obviously for many years we were able to do it without. Yeah. We don't need it now. There's too much control. There's too much micromanaging by the, by the federal government, and it, just, it does nothing but screw everything up. I mean, there's really no easy way to put it. it. There's no purpose for the government to be as big as it is. It needs to shrink, not by half, but by tenfold at minimum.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Unfortunately, yeah. the way we're going, I don't see that happening
1: yeah well it's interesting because um in the uk where i'm in everything is you know we've got the national health service and pretty much everything is a a state monopoly i don't even know private schools is a very sticky area i'm not even sure if i know of that many of them only a handful um but when i think about you know i was thinking about obamacare and when that whole thing came out i just thought how on earth is this a good idea to have such a massive you know, federal program for health care when you sometimes even states can't even decide among themselves you know what what they want to do in their own state, so how is it a good idea to have a, a federal health program because um no not everyone just has different views. The states are too diverse, and I think there's so many different views and that's the same for for education really you know if one state wants to teach creationism for whatever reason and another state doesn't, then why should there be sort of a a federal uh, curriculum you know that's that's standardized among all the states it's too big a level and this is the same um really for the EU. That was, uh, you know, our version of, I guess, what you could say is um, U- United States, you know, our federal government for a while was the European Union. And I'm, I'm personally glad to say the UK is leaving, but um, it's the same thing where, you know, people in Bulgaria have a vote on what the UK does. I think Bulgaria is in the EU anyway, but the point being that they have a, um, a vote on what we do with our own fishing waters. You know, why should someone in Slovakia be able to tell um, someone in Northern Ireland where they can, where they can fish? You know it's just uh it's crazy but um yes yeah, so how you would say you know things like the department of education even the department of you know is there a health department as well obviously i'm assuming you know how do these things even operate you know when there's such diverse opinions within the government? so this is my question and um i don't know if there's a if there's any way that we'll be able to see these things start to be rolled back but um i'm not sure if it looks good just based on
2: the way things are going at the minute like you said Oh, absolutely, yeah. Well, the thing is that they don't even know what they're doing half the time. I mean, there are, there are organizations, and then they create organizations to watch over the other organizations. And the problem yeah. with, the way are, at least, <laughs> yes, with the way we are in the U.S., the problem with it is that everyone thinks they have the answer. So they want to get in power and they're going to start giving you the answer, and they're going to put their solution a place. The problem is when they leave office, that solution doesn't go away. And then we just keep adding to it and adding to it. And now we've gotten to the point where no one even knows what anything is going on. There are <laughs> especially with the COVID-19 going on right now, right? We have people demanding the federal government do certain things which, which which aren't in their power. And we have other people on the state level who are demanding, demanding like like citizens demanding the state do things that aren't on their power. And no one seems to know who's in control of what. And it's complete chaos. I mean, it's gotten better now as time's gone on, obviously, but originally it, for the first two months, it, it was literally chaos here when it came to, deciding who is in charge of what, who could say what, who can yeah. imply you know, put restrictions on or recommendations on. Um and uh it's just it's just proven that obviously the government's too big. The question is how small can we get and how quickly can we do it?
1: And I guess the shame of local governors that they all ha- you know, they all looked up at Trump to say to say, you know, uh what's the president gonna tell us, you know, what's he gonna tell us to do? <laughs> and that's I mean it's it should be Considered, you know, by default that they're in charge if the federal government hasn't told them otherwise. You know, not that that's right in the in the first place, but um, they all seemed to immediately um just look up like like lemmings really. You know, just at, at you know like they were sheep. What's what's the government going to tell me to do? You know, what's what what am, what am I going to be told to do for my state? And uh, I guess it's a shame that 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 was the way things kind of panned out, but um, yeah, it was. It's just it was crazy to see from over here even. How that was handled, because at least, rightly or wrongly, you could say in the UK the Prime Minister just kind of says what to do, and the the Health Minister just said tell everyone what to do, and there's a clear message. Um, it gets a bit sticky in terms of devolved governments, in terms of Northern Ireland having its own rules and and Scotland having its own rules, but um, all in all, the Prime Minister tends to 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 set the the policy for the for the country. But, um, how then? Would you say that the, the COVID thing is being handled a bit better now on the whole? As Have people kind of figured out what's going on?
2: Well, I don't know if people have figured it out. I don't know if it's handling better. I think people are just so tired of it, they don't care. So they either go along with things they don't care or agree with because they're just going to do it so they don't have any problems. And then other people are seeing signs that things seem to be dissipating. Some things seem to be improving. People are able to go back to school. Sports are starting. So people are feeling some sense of normalcy. So because of that, I think that, and that's just more of a feel good type thing. It's not necessarily a better thing, but sometimes that's what you need in a situation like this is you need people to feel better or feel like things are improving just because that way their attitudes will change. And once attitudes change, then other things can change. now I'm someone with a medical background. I'm someone who's actually worked on a, on a pandemic before back in '09, when I was in healthcare I was in infection control. I was actually on a, on a regional wide portion of the national task force. So I, I have inklings of what's going on and I understand why things are being done. The problem is is I don't agree with most anything. And the problem is, it doesn't seem like anybody agrees because everyone's getting information from different sources. You go to a news media, they're saying one thing. You go to your state government, they're saying another thing. You go to the federal government and in the, in the task force with Dr. Fauci and Dr. Brooks were saying one thing, but yet your you know, county, like I, I live in uh, by Chicago, we, we have a very large area and we have uh, obviously the politics are very large here. And mm-hmm. in Cook County, we have a you know, uh, health department that are saying something contradicting the governor, which is contradicting the, the, the federal government. So it's like no one knows who to trust, no one knows who to put their who to put their their value yeah. in when it comes to an opinion or how to how, how they should behave or who they should you know trust. The problem is with all this is it was avoidable and again, what got in the way was politics. Everyone had an agenda now may it be I'm on the Democrats and I want to get Trump out of office or it might be I'm a conservative and I want to make our, our democratic governor and mayor look bad. I mean, who knows what the, everyone had their own reason behind mm-hmm. what they were doing, but politics got in the way. And unfortunately it doesn't seem like it's going to dissipate anytime soon, especially with a, a presidential election coming up now, just in a couple of months.
1: Yeah. So I'm going to pass over to you Q then. So if we go back to in terms of the role of the state, then what would your opinion be on that question? For oh, like what, what the, what the state should do in general so we we got we got a little bit uh yeah sidetracked there in terms of talking about health particularly but um we, when we talk about these departments you know health education departments yeah. and all the other ones atf
0: and yeah torpedo them <laughs> yeah they, they shouldn't exist at all um like so like in my, my mind the highest office in the land should be like your 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 local mayor right like everything else should just be you know, and that, and that's just because of the community that you live in, you want to elect somebody to help kind of manage some of the day-to-day details. But, uh, um, so is that in terms of the highest office that you should have to deal with or the highest yeah, office that should exist? That, that should exist. Yeah. Um, oh, so the president is out then? <laughs> oh yeah. The whole federal government get rid of it, dissolve it. Um, you know, States lines, boundaries, borders, it's all imaginary. Right. So like, <laughs> like, uh, you know, it is, we're all playing a yeah, game. Yeah. It's, we're all playing a game. So, um, now that's that, that. leads up to a lot of questions, and it comes down to rights and responsibilities, right? You, everybody has rights, and everybody has responsibilities. And you have the responsibility to defend yourself, defend your community. Uh, you have a responsibility to to work with each other in a in a in a nonviolent way. And if that can't be achieved, then then you have the responsibility to walk away or defend yourself. If it becomes if it becomes a problem. So. Um, there's a lot of details that go into that and a lot of questions that that that, that can't necessarily always be answered cleanly. But mm-hmm. I go back to um slavery, right? Um people couldn't imagine who was gonna pick all the cotton if we didn't abol you know, if we abolish slavery. Like I can't like if you if you own a plantation, you have all this these acres and acres of tobacco and cotton mm-hmm. and you have you know uh uh, you know for lack of a better word a a stable of slaves that just go out and do the work for you um your entire economy is based off of slave labor it's going to be hard for you to imagine how you're going to get all of this cotton picked if i don't Mm -hmm. have slaves doing it um so there's always going to be a question and arguably the 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 greatest question is who's going to pave the roads right we always hear that one what about my roads (laughs) um everything is like that. It's like, well, I don't know, but there's a market and somebody will come up with a great idea. And uh, maybe we don't even need roads. Maybe we don't even need a department of education. You look at how Mm -hmm. some of these kids are, are raised. They, you know, the, we're basically turning over our future to the state. And then we want to know why we have these blind loyalists to the crown, so to speak, right. To use an old, you know, American, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. colonial term. Right. So, um, we have blind loyalists to the crown because the, the state is training them to be that. Uh, I'd like to see it all go away. How do you do that? Nonviolently dude? I don't know. So uh, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't have an answer how to get there, well, man. I just, the next, you know...
1: <laughs> the next question is if, if you have a, I mean, I guess this is all, uh, it doesn't really make sense anyway, in, in terms of how we've got the situation, but I'm thinking of like Pearl Harbor, yeah. something like that happens and a, a kind of malevolent rogue actor, you know a nation of another country yeah just goes and, and bombs you know rural missouri is that uh, is there any in your mind uh justification
0: for a kind of grouping together of these oh, states yeah. to for yeah. common defense oh absolutely um we we should cooperatively defend each other absolutely but so so going back to pearl harbor i'm glad you brought it up um there there's a there's a quote that was attributed to the Japanese admiral at the time—I can't remember his name off the top of my head—and there's some debate of whether or not he ever said it. But the premise is true: uh, we cannot defend the American mainland because there's a rifle behind every blade of grass, and uh, that's like that to me is that's it—that's the answer, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, be be able to defend yourself, be able to defend your community, be in in, in a close relationship with your friends and your allies, and and uh, and live peaceably amongst one another and and if and if there's there's something going on that isn't right well maybe we need to take care of it but uh when you
1: when you think of the battleships and the aircraft carriers
0: then do they get built in a cooperative society well so you had private so going back to the american revolution you had private people owning warships right you had you you know our you know the privateers basically pirates defeated the british royal navy you know so so i mean it's it's not like it's unheard of, man. So it's just it's unheard of in, today. And in a modern you know? world, I yeah. guess is where I'm
1: going with this. Is it, is it as feasible today as it was back in? And I guess it, it's wrong to say those sort of ships were primitive, but and more primitive compared to today's society. I mean, I guess when I think about it, the market tends to produce better solutions than than government if ever could. We- and dealing- We'll probably end up with supercharged, you know, uh, aircraft carriers that can fly if we left the markets. To be honest, but
0: well, yeah. So like, you you already have a fleet of ships that are owned by private organizations, right? You know, your shipping companies and all these other guys. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the yeah. U.S. government doesn't own Matson, right? They don't own Young Brothers. They don't know these are just ships that, that come out here to Hawaii, right? Like so, um, you know, they they there might be some a corporatist agreement. Between these, you know, the the corporation and the government, and that's a whole different episode. I'm sure we could talk about that, but uh, you already have private ownership of ships, big ships with lots of capabilities, but they're built without defensive measures because the because that's just been outsourced to to the federal government. You know, um, it's Mm -hmm. not as if we couldn't do it; it's just that we're not doing it. Yeah,
1: it's it's interesting because I hear people talking about how even people like Mark Zuckerberg and such are in some ways menaces because they have such power and they're mm-hmm. not accountable because they're private people, Yeah, uh, you know, private corporations, I guess. But um, when people talk about even censorship on, on YouTube and things like that, then, or Twitter, the next question is then who regulates those uh, kind of platforms. And I guess the same would be if someone became then too big for their boots and, and had this, it was in charge of a massive sort of, cooperative military service then is there i guess you're kind of end, ending up in tyranny and at that stage whenever you know the the private organizations will get so big that they effectively become the state until
0: until there's another private organization that competes right this is true yeah free you know, market yeah so um that's that's at least the theory right and it and it works it's worked for a while in a couple of different areas until until the monstrosity of the state comes in and takes over of course so so, mm. you know, you, you kind of go in this back and forth. It's like you're, you, you know, I think it comes down yeah. to just freedom, right? You just be free yeah. to live, excuse me, you just free to live. And then, uh, and then let those voluntary interactions work themselves out. And in, in a market environment, um, if somebody mm. becomes, let's say McDonald's owns all of the beef, well, we just stop eating beef, man. You know? Well, that's what like, I was going to
1: say. My last sort of tangent question was going to be, Um, are monopolies possible in a truly free market? Do monopolies come around that often? Um, Or if they do come around, then is there any way of of busting them, so to speak?
0: The theory goes that that a monopoly can exist outside of government um, because there's always going to be some sort of competition, some sort of differentiation uh, in that market that that either uh, cripples a monopoly or the monopoly cripples under its own weight, right? Mm -hmm. Or crumbles under its own weight. And, uh, you know... um, And i guess a world without patents obviously helps with this yeah yeah you know that that intellectual property myth right that whole thing that uh you know (laughs) myth. (laughs) i like the way you put that (laughs) well no i mean because you know it's backed up it's propped up by the government right so um you know if you don't have intellectual property rights and and you know you look at so there was this big deal not too long ago about the epipen well who's that company i don't remember what it was but it was the, the EpiPen auto injector that, that went from being mm-hmm. uh, for, for people that have uh, uh, allergies to things like peanuts and, and, and bee stings yep. and things like that. Uh, they had this auto injector that, that, that jacked up the price because they were one of one and they could do it. And everybody was so mad and they're like, oh, look at the free market, except for the fact that it wasn't a free market. You know, these, this, this, this company true. existed because it was supported by the government. And it was allowed to do that because there was no competition. And I don't know the details, but it was like, you know, I'm just going to well, say, I'm just going to grab a number. It was like $30 an injection today. Yeah. And then tomorrow it was like $5,000 for an eject, injection. And yeah. it, was some, it was some ridiculous inflated price because he was able to do it. You know, but if you had an, a natural competitor that said, oh, no, 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 we're, we're, you know, we can't do that because we'll lose our business, right? We have to be more competitive, yeah. you know, then. Yeah. It's the equivalent of walking to the next store along,
1: and saying, "Well, yeah. can you do this for this yeah. price?" Kevin, okay, you're a medical man, so you might have perspective on these yeah, there you go. of healthcare. But um, you know, I remember this guy uh, Shkreli or Martin Shkreli, was that his name that jacked up the price of a particular drug and then it you know went up a thousand percent or something. Well, it was a I remember that being a, a fairly big deal that people were saying, "This is this is why we don't want a free market because someone can turn a you know a pill that was two dollars and into nine thousand dollars or something like that." Um, did you see, Kevin, from your experience in healthcare, ways that it could be improved by the government sort of stepping back and getting out of the, the businesses of the
2: hospitals? A 100%. So, just actually to the point that Q is making, that is the problem. The government picks winners and losers when it comes to pharma- pharmaceutical products. They're, they're with the patents and with just their ability to be able to produce things and generics and who's allowed to and who, who can and can't get approval for things. That is what's limiting everything and causing, like you said, these people to become more or less monsters and being able to take money from people who can barely even afford it. Um, now there can be some good things when the government steps in like uh, recently the U S government basically lowered the cost of insulin. But again, that wouldn't even be an issue had the government not been meddling in the first place and allowing, you know, other manufacturers to be able to produce these things. It, I know many people believe that, for whatever reason, that without the U.S. government, there's no way that we could survive. There's no way we could um, thrive in the world and the marketplace. I, I, I don't know where people get this idea from. Maybe it's because they're so ingrained in just living this life over the years and maybe for their entire lifetime growing up in this system. But to the point when it comes to medical purposes, and it's not even just pharmaceuticals, it's equipment. I mean, there is techniques that take 15, 20 years to get approved by the FDA that could have saved tens of thousands of lives had they just allowed people to do trials earlier or to put it into the marketplace earlier. I mean, I've worked with um, companies that were trying to work on uh, tumor treatments. They had developed a tool that they thought worked well. They, they had done trials. They had you know, 98, 99% success. And the FDA said, eh, we'll review it again in five years. And yet they weren't allowed to do it. And this happens all the time in medicine. Um, it comes with, with uh, therapeutics, Again, with medications, um, but just even techniques to be able to use certain things. Most people don't understand, like in a surgery, you can't teach certain things in a school until it's been approved for, or for, for a certain amount of time. There are, uh, there are so many restrictions in medicine. It's, it, 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 it would frighten you if you actually knew, at least in the U.S., how it is. I don't know how it is in other countries. I know that's another reason why some people in our country travel to other countries for treatment is because those areas will allow doctors to perform certain procedures that aren't allowed in the us even though it's perfectly safe perfectly fine but because of the red tape because of the 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 um things that people the hoops have to jump through to get things approved it takes forever
1: Mm -hmm. yeah coming from a country where the nhs is king and private private hospitals are almost unheard of in the uk not they do exist but very few people will choose them unless they're wealthy um there's a huge movement especially in the unions to Um, they're trying to fight against privatizing the NHS, they call it, making it less and less government and more and more uh, private companies. And I never really understood what they were talking about when they said about this being like a great evil of the world that, um, that privatizing healthcare would be so terrible because I thought, well, if the government's at the minute employing people to cook lasagnas in a restaurant like is that the government's business really whenever someone like can they not outsource things like this and it's it's baby steps especially where the government is everything in terms of healthcare here really so um obviously you know an ideal scenario would be maybe where the government is just not involved in hospitals at all you could say but um in terms of like why is the government hiring chefs why is the government hiring cleaners why is the government hiring People, you know, do maintenance in these buildings. Why is this not all already outsourced to the private companies? And I never really just got the this movement with the with the healthcare unions in terms of against they're against privatizing healthcare because they claim it'll it'll lower um, the standards of treatment and it'll it'll mean that people then will have to come in and see uh, at, at the minute where it's sort of single payer healthcare system where it gets comes out of your taxes so um and everyone just pays basically a it just comes out of your tax percentage but they say oh you'll have to come in and then you'll be charged for your your treatment and all these things but at the minute i'm not that happy with what i am being charged for because at the minute i'm being charged for a lot of treatments that i don't want to give my money towards you know people are going in and having cosmetic operations that effectively my tax money is paying for so um yeah it's i never really understood this privatizing healthcare
2: as being a bad thing to be honest <laughs> Right. No, absolutely. I mean, and even then, in the United States, insurance is king when it comes to healthcare. right? The problem Mm -hmm. with that is that even in the insurance industry, the government is meddling too much and picking winners and losers and allowing certain people to thrive in certain areas and restrict people. Like, we can't get insurance over state lines, which is the most ridiculous thing in the world. We're supposedly the United States of America, yet, if I want to work with an insurance company in Indiana or Wisconsin, I don't have that opportunity, even though it would save tons of money. Hmm?
1: Really? I've never heard of that.
2: Yeah. No, that's that's it. You can't. So you can't get insurance over state lines. You can't get insurance over uh, international lines, obviously as well. But we should have an open market where I can compete, or I can work with people to compete with being able to get insurance from a different area. Now, let's don't what's don't. The argu- what's the argument against that? Why would why would that be limited? It's all about control. It's all about that way they can limit what can be covered, what can't be covered. The state on the state level, they have more control over it. It's it's a it's a it's a matter of keeping things more organized as they argue, but really it's the exact opposite and really it's just a, a control issue again the, whenever the state or the may it be on the state level or the federal level get a new power they they're not going to release it, so they're not going to open up you know themselves to be able to lose control and to lose power and to potentially lose money
1: yeah this is true wasn't it um, wasn't it
0: Mark Twain that said something maybe it wasn't Mark Twain, but he said something like there's nothing in the world more permanent than the, than a temporary government program <laughs> absolutely yeah i agree with that
2: <laughs> well look yeah. we'll look at the institution of the income tax in the, in the united states back what i think it was like 1913 under woodrow wilson he promised there was going to be a one percent tax on the top one percent earners only and forever and that's how they sold it you know obviously that was never going to be but that's the way it is and that's the way that it always is with the government anytime you have the, the state who wants to either increase like even right now i'm in illinois we are in the midst of uh, on this ballot. We're going to have a, a potential amendment to the U- to the Illinois Constitution that will basically allow the Illinois government to raise taxes at will without without uh, residents' votes ever again. And I can guarantee wow. you, I'm in I'm in a blue state. They're going to approve it. I, I almost That's guarantee. You. Well, That's- from
1: I don't I don't want to um, pick on Illinois specifically, but I think you guys have got a lot of problems at the minute. I've seen even the the mayor of chicago is an absolute mess in terms of politically and just what what's going on and um i guess this leads on to the things like uh riot control i was having an interesting uh conversation with someone on twitter that uh you know one night just about in terms of how how does you know, without the federal government intervening then and in the current situation how do we uh how does the president clamp down on rioters and people that are causing unrest in cities and uh we're having an interesting conversation about that but it would be interesting to hear your perspectives on that uh, I'll, I'll even go to key on this you know what's your perspective on um you know these kind of um this
0: controlling this kind of civil unrest that's that's going on everywhere at the minute yeah um property rights man you know uh you should be able to defend your property and if uh, if you got riots going on in your neighborhood and you know they Riots come walking down, you know, my street, my, my property. Uh, you know, I don't ever want to, you know, I, I hesitate to say what I would do because it gets, it gets, it gets recorded and soundbited. Right. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you know, uh, I have tools at my disposal and I think everybody should have those same tools at their disposal to protect themselves and their property. And um, you look at where these riots are not occurring. They're not occurring in places that have um a high gun ownership rate. <laughs> I I don't know how else to say that yeah. without without well, maybe, sounding too, you know, nasty, right? Maybe we can talk a little bit about the
1: Second Amendment and, yeah. and why because some people will say that um again coming from a UK perspective, that it's crazy how many guns there are in America. And especially they talk about this um how it's it's almost the, the Christian wing that's more into their gun rights and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um is there any conflict at all between gun ownership and this kind of, uh, I guess it's a violent industry, but yeah. is there any conflict between that and your faith at all, in your opinion? Yeah, you there, the,
0: there's going to be, um, you know, cause, cause you look very clearly in, you know, in the 10 commandments and all that stuff. And and, we, and we, it says thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not kill. Right. Um, there's, there's a heavy, heavy, heavy responsibility that, that, that you, that you take on when you squeeze the trigger and anger. And uh, that's, I don't, you know, I don't know how to say it. So, so you, first of all, understand that every human being is made in the image of God, every single one of us. And so when you squeeze the trigger in anger to put down the image of God, right, even if that image of God is doing some nasty, evil, horrible things, you're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to explain yourself. There's going to be some, there's going to be a day of reckoning, so to speak. And and I think every Christian probably inherently knows that. Um, But, you know, the right to life is the right to life, you know, life, liberty, and property. Like if you see somebody that's threatening somebody else's life, somebody else's property, and, and you can solve that problem without, without killing that other person, then then absolutely you should do that. If that, if that squeezing of the trigger is the last, uh, resort and you have to do that and you have to, I mean, you you have to, I think, Mm. um, but that's got to be the angle it can't just be a bunch of guys walking around i mean and just you know who's going to force i don't know but but like you can't just be a bunch of bunch of macho morons walking around just you know brandishing weapons all over the place uh thinking that that's not going to elicit some sort of response because it that also elicits a response now it's not necessarily violent you but you're portraying an image that you know i i personally wouldn't have a problem with because you know, I, I, I'm, I'm okay with weapons. I have no problem with weapons being around them and operating them and, and all that other stuff. But, mm. but people who aren't educated in that or don't know enough about it and haven't, haven't practiced with it, it's going to elicit a very specific response. So, um, yeah, your riots aren't necessarily happening in areas where the threat of retribution from the local population is high. They're happening in places where they can get away with it. And, right. uh, I hate to say it but that's 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 saying something Mm. that's that's something that we need to consider that's something we need to look at and go okay well maybe we should limit the amount of of gun regulations that are out there and and uh you know again what's the role of the state you know the state Mm -hmm. the state you know there's this whole myth about this this social contract and some people have different ideas about it but i feel like the state has voided the social contract in a way if there ever was one um when you know the 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 U.S. federal government, um, the Supreme Court has ruled multiple times that the police are not there to defend you. They don't exist to defend you. They exist to enforce the laws. So mm-hmm. if the state isn't going to defend me and I need to defend myself, well then that's what I need to do. And I think everybody needs to have that yeah. understanding. Well, the state has shown themselves to be pretty impotent when it comes to this. Uh, yeah, you know,
1: because. We've seen, and I heard, I heard in the news there um, that um, there was a certain action the president took in order to, to start prosecuting some people on a federal level that were being let out by the local, um, you know, DAs and prosecutors and things like that. Um, but we saw that you know people were just getting getting picked up and then let out again, and you know uh, p- people were saying you know the, the governors were telling certain areas you know the the police need to stand down and let people just you know burn life's work to the ground and uh it's obviously shown that there needs to be at least some kind of threat for of of retribution for when you do that to someone you know it makes sense to me that there would be a deterrent that people would you know that people could possess in order to to stop that from even happening in the first place but you know it's it's an interesting sort of conversation and I'm not sure exactly no yeah one.
0: so the question you asked was is there a conflict between my faith and 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 taking a life and there absolutely is a conflict and there necessarily should be you know mm-hmm. um there should be there should be a conflict there right <laughs> you know like yeah. right like you should right, you should yes. not take that lightly you know um absolutely but then there also needs to be an understanding that there are ramifications for your actions and if you're going to come into somebody's neighborhood and you're going to loot and burn, uh, there are ramifications for that action.
1: Yeah, right? so when you say there there's a conflict, um, are you also saying that there's a justification in circumstance? Or are you saying that that conflict is, is, means that there there's no circumstances where you should end up having to take a life? Or are you saying that it'll be sinful to take a life? In, in well, yeah,
0: So so we live in a fallen state, man. You know, there's a lot of conflicts you know um yeah i you know uh, yeah. i don't know how else to answer that question i you know um if if this was the garden of eden before the before the fall you know we were all living you know in a, in, a, in a perfect world where there was no sin and there was no uh problems you know when with regard to this stuff then then we'd have be having a different conversation yeah um so yeah, well, there, yeah is- there there is a conflict uh but but absolutely there is a reason there is hmm potentially in this fallen world a a reason why you might need to take a life to defend the life of another and the reason i Uh, ask unfortunately yeah yeah,
1: i'm i'm friends with a lot of people who would say that there is no justification and i had someone actually on the the first episode of this show that was very much pacifist and said there there really is no justification for taking Mm. a life in any circumstances and in some cases that does you know they would say that um, I don't know if, if Alex who I had on would necessarily say this but I do know people that would say even when it comes to self-defense you know you shouldn't even kill someone in that circumstance if someone comes in brandishing a gun into your house to, to kill your wife and it's not some people would say it's not justified to, to act in that circumstance and I'm not sure I agree with that because just from from my views but Kevin what's your opinion on
2: on you know this self-defense and, and gun rights. Well, I think everyone has a right to defend themselves. Like, and very much in the same way that Q was saying, it, it, it is something you wrestle with to an extent because you have an instinct naturally to want to defend yourself. You know, it, I was raised in a country where people are promoted to defend themselves. But then as, and as a follower of Jesus, I, I, I would, wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't want to necessarily do it. That being said, in the moment, I have a feeling I would. Um, like I have friends who I've, who I've, uh, known for a number of years, who would have told me that when we talked about this subject, this exact subject, they said, well, if someone came up with me with a gun and pointed at me and they shot me, I would just go to heaven. So I I really wouldn't care. Now, I understand where they're coming from. I mean, I I think ultimately that's what we're all going. So, but that being said, in that moment, if someone has a weapon or a gun or is threatening me or my wife or my family, I have no doubt I would defend them. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I'm don't not, know how, how I feel after the fact, but <laughs> in the moment, I, I, I I'm just
1: not it. sure that there is a, a moral problem with that, though. Um, I think when it comes down to um, which is the loving action to see someone slaughtered before your eyes or to prevent that happening, and it, it, it raises sort of questions about the greater good and things like that, you know, it naturally leads on to those questions, but um, I'm just not sure that. People make the argument about Jesus saying, you know, those who live by the sword will, will die by the sword, and things like that. um mm-hmm. But I, I'm still, I'm, I'm not convinced that that necessarily applies, in all in cases of self-defense in a lot of circumstances, because I don't, I don't quite see how it could be the loving action to not defend someone that was, you know, their life was in danger. You know, so I'm not really sure where I stand on that.
2: Right, I fully agree. I mean, I fully agree. Like that's, that's what I was saying. I, I know many people who say different, but I just. Couldn't stand by and watch someone I love, someone I care about, or even just someone I know, be attacked and have no one come to the defense. I mean, even if I didn't have a gun, I might pick up another weapon. Might be a anything. Who knows? It might just be my fists. But I, I wouldn't. I couldn't stand idly by. And maybe that isn't, you know, quote unquote, very uh, Christian. But I may. And my, but to your argument, and to even Q's argument, I think it is. I think you can't just stand there and watch someone you care about be Mm -hmm. hurt when you can do something to stop it Mm -hmm.
1: and you talked about the atf earlier as well um Mm -hmm. in terms of federal regulation for firearms uh, what level should that be on should there be regulations for particular should people be allowed to own um machine guns i hear a lot of people saying about people shouldn't be allowed to own semi-automatic weapons and like that's pretty much everything so it doesn't make sense but people people tend to think semi-automatic means you're capable of mass murder but I don't know, anyway, an M1 Garand is semi-automatic and it doesn't look that scary. So um, right. anyway, so the point being,
2: what, at what level should these regulations, should, should there be any, should they be enforced? No, there should be no regulations. I mean, when you look back through our history, I'm not saying every person should be, able to to, should be able to own a tank, but I'm not saying that they shouldn't be. When you look back at the Revolutionary War times, a lot of the canyons that were used by people in the, in, in, in the, in the states or, or in the colonies were mm-hmm. privately owned, right? Even in the Civil War, people had privately owned weapons that they used. Um, I, I, it, why does it matter if, if one gun will shoot faster than the other? They're both still going to shoot. So either they should be legal or they should not be. And shouldn't it be up to the government to tell us what we can and can't own, how many we can own, how much ammunition we can buy. I mean, I, I, I personally am not even a gun owner, but I have many friends who are. And I see the, the, the hoops you have to jump through to even just purchase a gun, yeah. let alone... The harassment they get or the threats of, well, well, it also depends, too. Like where I live, again, I, I, we have a lot of regulations. We, we, we Up until a number of years ago in the Chicagoland area, you weren't even legally allowed to own a handgun. Um, they actually had to sue and then go to the Supreme Court for them to overturn that. But, again, you go right over the border into Wisconsin, they have open carry. So it's you know night and day difference depending upon where you live. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, I don't think the U.S. government or any government for that matter should be telling you you can and can't own something, even if, um, even if you're a convicted felon. Once you've served your time, you served your time. Once you're back out on the streets legally, you should be allowed to own a gun. So I don't I don't really believe that there should be any restrictions. Generally speaking.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting to hear your perspectives on this because I come from somewhere where nobody owns guns. The police barely even own, have you know firearms in the UK. I think the Northern Ireland police is pretty much the only police service that actually carries, you know, a gun on them on their mm-hmm. person when they're, when they're on duty. So it's, uh, we come from very different worlds in that regard. But as soon as I, I was sending this, this to someone on Twitter um, in a comment, but as soon as I moved out into my own place, you know, when I got married, I immediately understood why people want to to have the ability to protect themselves. And, uh, it's, it's weird. You almost feel powerless when you're, when you have your own home and you don't have anything to defend yourself with. And I'm envious of people who do get to live in society where that is possible. Um, a lot of people will try to argue that Christians shouldn't own guns, but, um, I'm just saying that my instinct would be, yes, I, I feel like I would like to have one in the house for protection you know, that's just, it, it's strange you coming from a society where, where there are no guns then immediately to feel like, oh, I kind of wish I did have a gun, you know, it was, it was an interesting sensation.
2: Absolutely. And actually, that reminds me of an interesting comment I heard. I think it was yesterday. I can't remember who the person was. I apologize. But it was on television. They were talking about this situation about guns in the US. And they were saying that some people feel comfortable owning guns and some people don't. But technically, everyone in the US owns a gun. And he clarified this by stating that those of us who actually don't possess the gun, our guns are the police. You literally call 911, you tell them to show up with their guns, and they bring your guns for you. And they're the All ones right. who use them. So essentially... And you've paid for that gun? Exactly. taxes. Exactly. Now, I'm not saying that's the way things should be, but I'm saying that's the way
0: things are. And when seconds count, that gun is only minutes away. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, I, I fully agree. No, but, but I true. thought it was an
2: interesting concept. Well, that way, people look at that as as being like their gun. Oh man,
1: it's crazy just to hear the calls of defunding the police, and then I don't know they're going to send a social worker out to your house to try and you know I don't know. It's like almost like talking about a, a hostage situation. <laughs> you have to send someone to persuade someone not to shoot to shoot you. Like this doesn't really make sense to me at all. I don't understand this call to defund the police. Uh, Q. I'm not. I think I saw that you were an ex military man yourself. I mean, you might have interesting perspectives on these things, but. Um, it doesn't really, it doesn't make sense to me. This whole idea of defund the police and get rid of protectors, you
0: know. Well, well, it's an incomplete thought. You know, when you say, when most people say defund the cops, defund the police, there's, there's a, there's an incomplete thought there. They, they don't finish it. They don't take it all the way through, um, because there does need to be somebody. You know, to you know, to keep some sort of order in the area. Again, anarchy means no rulers, not no rules, right? So, there needs to be some level of order. And uh, so, if we're going to defund the cops, you're not going to get a lot of argument out of me uh, on that. But uh, there needs to be a completion of that thought. Then what? What is that? What do we do then? And and social workers aren't the answer, right? So, it's the ones who want to defund the cops the loudest are the ones who want to, you know, disarm the people the most right so right. Yeah, it's so. like it's just it's not it's an incoherent it's not, it doesn't make sense you know there's there's no completion of of, of thought so um that's kind of where i'm at on that and, and as far as being a being a being a veteran yeah i was in the navy for 13 years and um i did four western pacific deployments and i've been all over the pacific and indian oceans and seen all kinds of things been into the, the middle east persian gulf horn of africa um anti-piracy piracy interdictions and incidentally my last deployment we were on we shot 17 tomahawk missiles into Yemen um, and we there was no declaration of war there was no military uh, thing that was going on there there was no operation there we let the Yemen the Yemen Air Force take credit for the strike um, and that was when I started thinking, maybe there's something else <laughs> here that, right. you know, that, that, uh, that, that we, uh, that we're doing and, mm. you know, cause you know, we knew about, you know, I, I was, I remember September 11th, like it was yesterday. And so I was all, all liquored up on that whole idea of, of if you're not with us, you're against us. I told you, I come from that whole that whole line of thought as far as being neoconservative. Mm. Right. Um, so, but that was, I would say probably the beginning of it is I remember being uh, on watch uh, running the engineering plant Um, and bringing the electrical plant up to a condition to support a missile strike and thinking to myself, okay, we're about to do this. And it happened and, uh, and thinking to myself, we're nowhere near Iraq. We're nowhere near anywhere that we should be shooting anybody, right? We're out here to, Mm -hmm. we're out here to protect the shipping lanes from pirates, you know, off the horn of Africa, Somali pirates and all of that. So then we launched 17 Tomahawk missiles into Yemen. That's not what we weren't here for. That yeah, you know? that's what we
1: signed up for. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> you know, like what's that all about? You know, so honestly, that was probably one of one of the one of the little things that you just and it's not a little thing because people died, obviously. But um, these these little things in your life, or at least my life, where I just go, when you start seeing the man behind the curtain, so to speak, and you start seeing that things are not what mm-hmm. what they're supposed to be, or what you mm-hmm. what you were led to believe they were, you know.
1: And when did you leave military service? Or are you still two thousand
0: and ten? 2010. Yeah. I got out, um, stayed in Hawaii. I was, you know, stationed in Pearl Harbor, stayed in Hawaii and I work in the shipyard industry now Uh, based off of what I learned in the Navy, of course, you know? Um, And so I, so I fixed ships and and that's why, that's when you, uh, you know, we talk about, that's why I went back to, well, nobody owns the Mattson ships. Nobody owns the young brother's ships, right? Like these are all private organizations. You know, I got the government doesn't, that's what I mean. The government doesn't own these ships. Mm -hmm. These are all privately owned ships that could be outfitted with defensive you know, equipment. Mm-hmm. But, um, and it was that knowledge that made me think like that. But, but uh, yeah, no, that's being in the military and, and, and you know, I've, I was in the Navy. So it's, it's not fair to say that like uh, uh, there's some guys that have actually been in places and seen some really horrible things and, and uh, had to, had been shot at and returned fire. And I'm fortunate enough that I've not had that opportunity uh, to have to do that. So um, I, I was sitting on a ship, and we launched 17 Tomahawks into Yemen, uh, a country that we were not at war with. Mm. You know, and so that's that's the extent. Uh, that's the extent of my combat action, of course, and that that means that there's been no combat action. So,
3: <laughs> you know,
0: yeah. So you were you
1: involved in a, a mean, Lee, um, you know, you're saying you're a mechanic. You're involved behind the scenes, really, yeah. in a lot of those. Things. Yeah.
3: yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So it's I mean we're saying about. um, it not being a complete thought. What 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 is the completion of the thought in your mind when you say you're not going to argue against defunding the police, but it's not a complete
0: thought. What's yeah. What's
1: your completion completion the, of that?
0: The complete thought is 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 making people aware that they are responsible for their own defense. They're responsible for their own safety. Uh, you know, if you if you're going to defund the police, which okay, it's not necessarily a bad idea. Um, you have to have something else there, right? <laughs> And uh, because, you know, I, I see the same thing everybody else sees, and there's, a, there's a, definitely an increase in, in, in police violence, or at least an increase in visibility of police violence. It's either getting worse, or it's always been this bad, and we're just seeing it now, right? Um, mm-hmm. So with that, it's like, uh, we need to do something about it. And if defunding it is a way to go, then perhaps we need to, um, all of us be a little bit more defensive-minded. You know, yeah, I, I live in Hawaii. And, and so going back to the whole gun thing, right? So um, it's illegal to carry a weapon in Hawaii, period. Uh, in fact, young, young versus the state of Hawaii is going to be heard by the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals later this month uh, in California. And um, it, it's an en banc hearing, actually. So there's going to be a 10-judge panel because the state already lost this in the court. And they've appealed, and so we're going, they're going back there. And depending on the ruling, of course, we'll probably see this go to the U.S. Supreme Court. But uh, technically, Hawaii is a may yeah. issue may issue state. Uh, so if you request to carry a concealed weapon, they may issue a permit. But in reality, it's a non it's a no issue state. They haven't issued one yeah. um, since Magnum Pi, right? So <laughs> I don't see how. I mean, to me, it doesn't take uh,
1: ten judges and, and multiple cases to, to read really what is a couple of lines or a couple of sentences in terms of yeah. keeping bare arms shall not be infringed. Correct. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah that seems yeah. fairly self-explanatory. But um, I, no, I was talking last week with, um, well, sorry, I should say on this week's episode that was just launched, and I was talking to a police chaplain in Tennessee. And, uh, you know, I I agreed with him and I do agree that uh, that the police... Dessert, um, I, I would say I'm naturally supportive of a police service in terms of I think that's a in terms of not I agree with it in terms of people should voluntarily um, support a service of, of, of men that can protect their community whether that's run by the state or whatever you know that's another topic but I do agree with the police service and uh, if you want that police service to act to be to, to be able to do their job well then naturally you should agree that they should be trained well and outfitted well and paid reasonably well. So this thing of, of defund the police to me makes a little sense because I think if there is to be a police, which I probably naturally would say, yes, I think there should be, I want them to be a a police that is able to do their job correctly. Yeah. Yeah. um, And do it well, you know, and I don't know if either you guys have any opinions on whether you think there should be a police force or not, or one that's run by the state, but um I, I don't think that defunding them is the right solution because it's kind of like Obamacare and that it puts in a sort of half-assed version of a healthcare plan yeah. that's sort of neither single payer nor um that nor just a, a free health, you know, free market healthcare system. It's kind of a weird mixture. So I want it to be done well. If there, if there's gonna be an argument for defunding the police, let's have a conversation about it. Let's see what are the justifications, what can be pulled back in terms of spending or what can be increased even and, and voluntarily?
0: Well, about a market-based approach, you know? Um, one of the things that, that, that I've often considered is, well, we already have it in place in a lot of places. You've you got a, you a private security firm that uh, watches your warehouse for you or your, uh, your gated community or uh, you know your racket your racquetball club <laughs> or your golf you know country club or whatever or your high school even right you have all yeah. these different pr- private security firms that that go into they're hired to do this thing um, and they all compete for business right and and uh so I think you guys even in the u k have a have a system that's actually working very well from what I understand i cannot remember all the details on it, but you have you have private security firms that are acting. As, as local law enforcement based off of, you know, community contracts, right? So imagine for a yeah. moment that, that you have, um, you know, a, a state a state monopoly on violence in the law enforcement industry, and you have your rights routinely being violated while cops go up on paid administrative leave and, uh, you know, they come back, maybe they get a promotion, maybe they get fired, but they get picked up by another agency, or you could have a competing uh, two, multiple competing firms. So when your rights are violated, you can cancel your contract with with this company and renew a contract with another company. Uh, do you think the public will be better or worse served by that? And do you think that that would make for better or worse law enforcement agencies? Uh, basically, you know, um, I, I think the market has an answer for everything. If if you're not going to, uh, if you're going to defund the police. You know, you know, why let, let's 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 look at a market-based approach. That's one of those complete. That's what I meant earlier talk too about like completing the thought. Like, you can. Yeah. You can, are we going to just can't do be away? can Yeah. Are we just going to do away with cops? Like, I'm yeah, not exactly. necessarily <laughs> opposed to that, but what's the what's the answer? You know, what do you yeah, fill you, that you, void with? Because you can you know, do away with police departments, but you can't do
1: away with a means of protection. Really. Correct. For, yeah. Yeah. And uh, Kevin, I don't know what it's like in in Illinois at the minute with this. Uh, that I'm sure it's. It's been crazy with, um, I'm not sure exactly Chicago as a city, how it's been affected with rioters and looters, but um, I'm sure the call has been equally loud to, to defund police. Um, what do you see? You're, you're in a democratic state. Um, what do you see as being a reasonable um, sort of next step for people that are interested in promoting libertarianism in terms of what? how could the police then be um, improved upon in a way that could be stomached by a, people in a democratic state? What would be a reasonable next step because you talk about obviously this is a multi-generational project that's that that's uh, you know to move towards a more free society so what would be then something that perhaps could be introduced in a state like chicago that people might actually or in illinois sorry
2: that people could maybe stomach it's actually an excellent question <laughs> um <laughs> the thing is is that like you said i am very pragmatic when it comes to solutions i, I don't think things are gonna happen overnight that being said When I've talked to many people who I know who support defunding defunding the police, um, I understand why they're making the argument that they they are. They feel that too much money is being put into policing, not enough money is being put into whatever community development. I understand that. I don't agree with it, but I understand it. Um, I think uh, we could have a free market solution that could work as long as we have policing. Um, But again, it would have to be a switch in ill boy, so in Illinois, and Chicago specifically, we have a very dense population, so you couldn't just remove the police. I mean, it, it, it would be it would be beyond chaos. It would literally be people dying in the streets, even more so than we already are, because as you probably know, Chicago is pretty well known for shootings. Yeah, uh, and, and and our death rates for uh, on the weekends especially. So without any police, that that, that just wouldn't happen. So as far as defunding i think it's about taking that money and applying it more properly in the police department instead of trying to make our police department a revenue generating machine which is basically what it is i mean most people don't understand many cops in this area especially they work under what people refer to as quotas they're not necessarily quotas but what you are is every quarter you have a a a review with your whoever might be your sergeant your superintendent Mm -hmm whoever it might be in your, in your specific department and you get a review as to how you're producing for your job. Are you running enough tickets? Are you getting enough arrests? And if your numbers are low, you get, you are actually under the threat of either being um, demoted, transferred or even terminated. So because mm-hmm. of this mentality of we have to produce money, they are doing things that are not only improper, but illogical. And on top of it, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but there are a number of prisons in in the United States that are private and they're completely privatized, which in theory sounds kind of interesting because it's a free market solution. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, the way the contracts are written, they have to actually maintain certain percentages of being filled. In fact, even some contracts that have been agreed to and written, actually the state and or federal government have to actually increase that percentage over a certain period of time, maybe five years or eight years. So our system is not built necessarily on, on protecting or even enforcing laws. It's about another arm of the government being able to do what they want, control how they want, and make revenue out of it. Mm. So because of all those steps that go into it, there is no simple black and white solution. I think you cannot you you cannot, nor will they allow you to remove um the police i mean they just that's not going to have no other conversation to happen but they won't actually do it because again it is a huge revenue genera- generating machine in in every major city in the u.s right yeah it's interesting i, I
1: guess I'd never really considered that aspect um because i know places was austin is going to blow up their police building i don't know whether that's just a gesture obviously they're they're producing some levels of policing but uh austin texas is going to blow up their their old police headquarters is a a symbol of you know i don't know i don't know what it's a symbol of to be honest lawlessness maybe (laughs) who knows um but is there is there like then a step that maybe is not quite defunding the police but something that would head more towards a um a libertarian um solution to policing that you know that could be a a logical thing that somewhere in between
2: well i think again over time it would be beneficial to be able to have a privatized and uh, policing force. I mean, mm-hmm. I know that scares a lot of people when you hear that because when they think, well, private companies are, are gonna start running everything, well, then obviously they're gonna become corrupt. They're gonna start trying to control things and monopolize things. And that could happen, but hopefully the market would correct it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, from a libertarian perspective, I mean, again, there are different views on libertarianism. So some people are gonna to wanna to have complete voluntary states, some want you know, a minarchist state and again, I come from more of a, a pragmatist view. I actually belong to the pragmatist caucus. So I I have this understanding that that baby steps are the important things as long as we continue to walk in the right direction and never step backwards.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So as far as as far as defunding the police, no, I don't think that's an option. Reforming the police, sure. But again, people can't even agree with the police are even for. Right? So some people believe that the police are here to protect you and but but like we now know the supreme court has said multiple times that no they're here to enforce laws so we have to even mm-hmm. get on the same basis and foundation of understanding what police forces are for and then from there you can build yeah it's interesting
1: because the supreme court obviously operates on a federal level and uh, the police forces do not generally operate <laughs> on a federal level other than really the fbi so it's that's an interesting sort of way of how can you sort of reconcile those things? You, uh, Again, the federal government really intervening in, in things that they probably shouldn't be. And I know the Supreme Court's job, obviously, is to rule in these things. But, um, yeah, there's there's too many places, in my opinion, where people are, are meddling in things that shouldn't be meddled in and things are going places and reaching people that they shouldn't be reaching at all. Um, I don't want to keep you guys too much longer, but I guess we'll finish on the the nice topic of, of taxation then, I suppose. A nice easy one. So we're talking about defunding then. So... Um, are, is taxation theft in all cases, or uh, is what do you think? You yes, <laughs> Kevin.
0: <laughs> no,
1: expand on that then.
0: <laughs> no, actually, uh, <laughs> no. Taxation is is theft, man, and uh, you know it's it's one of those things that, um, income tax, particularly, you know, property tax is another one. Sales tax, if you're if you you know, so. What, what income tax actually is, right? You're working for the benefit of the state to whatever percent, right? To whatever mm-hmm. percent you're, 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 you're taxed at, right? So uh, it's, it's, it's not just theft, it's slavery, right? So if you're working for the benefit of somebody else against your will, what is that? And what, how, what would you call that? you know, I call it slavery, right? So, so not only is taxation theft, but income taxes, income tax is, is slavery in my mind, at least. So if it's like a 40% tax rate or a 30% tax rate or a 20% tax rate, you're a 40% slave or a 30% slave or a 20% slave. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's my perspective on it. Um, there's basically nothing the government provides that can't be accomplished through uh, market exchange that can't be accomplished through voluntary interaction. Um, that's my opinion, and then property taxes are probably among the worst. In that, in that, if you if you own a piece of property outright, but you still have to pay taxes on it, you don't really own that. You're just leasing it from the government,
3: mm-hmm.
0: which yep. means they're your master, which means you're still a slave. <laughs> you know, yeah. like you know. So we can go on and on and on around this whole thing. It's like uh, uh, there's nothing the government does that can't be provided through a market. Nothing. And some and, taxes, and, can, you know.
3: Yeah,
1: sorry, I was so. going
0: to say some taxes can be. Uh,
1: you can argue about whether they're right or wrong. But when I think, when you think of things like capital gains tax, inheritance tax, I can't look at things like this and, and logically I can't fit my mind around these in any way that doesn't end up with me thinking that it's just another way for the government to take more money that they don't need off your hands. Like, yeah. in, inheritance taxes, that's just a, you know, we call it the death tax. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it doesn't make sense. I, I just do not get it in any way
0: well yeah no it's and and it is it's it's an opportunity for the government to get more loot man and uh they they will never pass up an opportunity to take money And if you look at what taxes is what taxation is a lot of times they put like a like a gas tax or a cigarette tax and and the idea is that okay this you know this is not an original thought right you guys have probably heard this before you know gas tax what does that do that 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 like encourages people to drive less. A so cigarette tax encourages people to mm-hmm. smoke less. An so income tax encourages people to what? Work less. Like, do we really want to do that, right? So, um, so, and I would even make the argument that that in the U.S. we have this big push for 15 fifteen dollar an hour minimum wage. The only people who really make out on that are the tax people, because people earn more money, they get they they pay more taxes. Ultimately, if you understand anything about economics, at the bottom end, you have the minimum wage, which, you know, it's all arbitrary anyway. But at $15 Mm -hmm. an hour, that increases the price of everything else around it because it's all aggregate, right? The price of a product is is the result of all the aggregate input costs, right? So your labor costs are going to increase that cost. So in a very short amount of time, the quick increase in somebody's income mm-hmm. is going to be is going to be flatlined by the increase in all the costs associated with it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and it was sort of in- associated with life around it. Yeah, it's like a, like a backdoor inflation. And the only people who win are the tax people because they get to tax you more. So, mm-hmm. and know. the
1: easy argument against this sort of federal uh, minimum wages, if if you just expand it to a global level, which isn't really that that much of a stretch, because the yeah. federal a federal minimum wage is about as, uh, you know, it makes the same amount of sense as a global minimum wage in terms of you could have someone working for, you know, basically nothing somewhere like India or in a sweatshop in Bangladesh. You know, yep. if you bump them up to $15 an hour, along with everyone else in California where, yep. or London, where you have to pay outrageous, you know, kind of prices for property, it, it makes
0: little to no sense. It makes really no at sense, all. Yeah. I mean, why not, fa- why not $5 million an hour? I mean, really. Since we're being yeah. arbitrary about this whole thing, let's, let's I didn't mean to hijack the topic. I didn't mean to turn it into the minimum wage discussion. <laughs> no, <but. laughs> that's all relevant. You no, know, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So
1: Kevin, what, uh, taxation, is it theft in your mind? Would you call it that? Or you're, you're more pragmatic, obviously.
2: What would you say taxation is then Do you? Well, I do agree that it is theft, okay? First off, that being said, trying to stop the government for t- from taking taxes is, is not going to be an easy task and it's not going to happen easily. Um, In any way, shape or form, any any imagination, any stress imagination, it's going to be something that might take almost to the point of destroying everything we have in the sense of our government, removing the government for to be able to do something like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, I don't know if anyone, I don't know some people wish for that to happen, I suppose some people don't. Um, Taxes in and of themselves, at least on paper, don't seem evil but they really are because they're taking your wealth away. We can pay for most of these things ourselves. We look at the United States. Most people can appreciate the fact that the United States voluntarily gives money to organizations at higher levels than most other countries combined after already being taxed. So if we didn't have to actually be taxed, we could take that money and then voluntarily give it for services like policing departments, fire departments, maybe a national defense, whatever it might be. Another thing to think about this is is that the U.S. government, or state government for that matter, but we'll use the U.S. government for this example, does not do very well when it comes to efficiency. Recently, uh, most people probably heard the story about Elon Musk, and he created that, uh, I can't remember the name of the the ship, but the ship that brought the uh, astronauts back down to Earth. When this was originally proposed back in 2008 under Obama, they got a bunch of experts together through Mm -hmm. NASA, and they said, okay, this is going to take about 12 years and cost roughly $36 billion dollars. So Obama said, well, that's great. We're not going to do that. But the one positive thing he did is he did open it up for competition. He said private companies can come in now and try to see what they can do. Elon Musk and, and SpaceX was able to do this not in 12 years, but in six years. And it didn't cost him $36 billion. He did it for less than one. So because of that, I think even though people, people have struggled to picture or imagine you know, the free market or private companies accomplishing the things that the U.S. government do, does, they can actually do them and probably even better. And there's plenty of examples of that. So because of that, I think, yes, we can get rid of taxes. It's just trying to convince everyone to to get on board mm-hmm. and say, okay, well, instead you're going to volunteer your money, but to the, to the products that you think are, you know, to the services that you depend on and services that you think are important, like your protection or what have you. Mm-hmm. And this
1: 3,600% markup really isn't actually that, I think that's the Maz correct anyway, but that isn't that much of a stretch uh, really? Because when you think about it, you know, I, at the minute I work as a, uh, like a contractor for the government like an agency staff member for a government department here in the uk and it doesn't i can clearly see you know how that's a that's um plausible you know because when you think of for every dollar that's spent you know by someone like tesla and um, the government will have hired someone that you know to do sort of valuations, and you'll have committees going on to and you know people that determine who gets what contract and people that then have to go and clean the offices that people have those meetings in. And, uh, you know, in, in my work, I work in, in IT, but you know, when I see, um, the price of a keyboard, for example, is like 96 pounds or something crazy like that, you know, that's the sort of thing that we're dealing with our headsets, like 150 pounds in terms of for the government to procure that headset. And, you know, this, um, it's, it's not a stretch for me to imagine that at all that, that markup that's, that's probably a conservative estimate, you know, <laughs> to be honest
0: right so, right yeah you're probably oh, right
1: I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. yeah so um yeah like you're saying efficiency is just not the government's forte but um yeah obviously in terms of of taxation you know i i don't like the thought of it going towards this kind of bloat and uh you know it's really just you're flushing it down the toilet this inefficiency is just giving money for money's sake and i think that's the that could be the big thing that has to be addressed in terms of you know, Donald Trump's tried to make it a, a big part of his, his uh, platform to to cut the red tape and cut down some of this bloated government. But to be honest, when you sit and reason and think it through, the government probably could be operating on a budget that's maybe you know a fraction of what it's, you know, a tenth less than a tenth of what it's probably way less than that. But even if you just cut out the, the inefficiencies and take it down to a level that it, even the current level it's operating, but operating efficiently, you could, you could quite easily,
2: I think, cut way more than half of, of the government budget and pretty easily. Sure. There's a lot of redundant uh, groups within the government. And I actually did a study recently to check to see how many employees actually in the U.S. work for either the state, local, or federal government. And it's, and it's essentially one in five.
0: Yeah. Wow. Does, does it, did that study include um, contractors as well? Cause cause you know, though, though, though they're technically private employees, if they have a government contract, they're an extension of that department that they work for. Right. Yeah.
2: And actually, actually, I don't believe it did include yeah. that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And that's probably the biggest, that's one of the, one of the big things too. Um, one of the things that you got you gotta, gotta remember too, is that the government is incentivized to grow, right? Every, every department in the government is incentivized to get bigger. Uh, there's no problem that they come up with that they can't theoretically solve with more people and more money whereas when you when you you know by their own you know in their own mind right but you know Mm -hmm. you look at the private sector we are just set up an
1: initiative to fix this particular problem you know yeah
0: and then you know and then you have this whole other department that you have you know this whole other thing that 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 didn't exist before or it's much bigger than it used to be because now we've created this bigger problem and 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 really
1: most of these issues that are they're trying to resolve are really the proper place for them is in someone's you know living room that they can just sit in and and talk you know in the backyard yeah. about yeah. how their community can be made better you know these this yep. is what most of these committees and office even whole office blocks full of people that really it should just be people meeting in their in their backyards to talk about what they can do to fix this particular problem <coughs> so there was oh i'm sorry about that so there was <coughs> a uh... <laughs> oh it happens <laughs>
0: yeah sorry she's I, a, I can she, cut this bit out yeah she's a she's a doc she's a dachshund and so she she's a, oh we have one as well yeah my yeah, mom she's and a part hound and so she barks at everything she's amazing she's like my favorite child but uh <laughs> Don't the, tell um, the rest of yeah no, they do they know <laughs> <laughs> the um yeah no i think there was some bit that was done uh with uh, dr milton friedman and uh and uh, uh thomas soul was was involved in it as well uh in his uh, free to choose special that he used to do on PBS way back was it the early eighties or something like that, maybe the late seventies. Um, and this was in, you know, those dollars, but uh, it was some exorbitant amount of money that was used in, in a welfare program, um, the vet, like where the vast majority of the welfare program costs were in administering the program. So the end user, i.e. the welfare recipient uh, was 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 getting was getting pennies on the dollar uh, mm. for the cost of the program and uh, so again it goes to that whole you know not only is taxation theft and and slavery but you're also paying uh, an, an organization that is incentivized to bloat right but if you were to turn it over to a market uh, we the, the, a for profit organization is incentivized to streamline that 's what we 're incentivized to do Mm-hmm. Um, you don't make money by bloating unless you're in a government contract, and then you make money by bloating because that's what the gov- thats what the contract stipulates because it's the government. And the, and the government they
1: are suckers, and they'll just and they, pay whatever. And you they'll answer. just pay whatever. Yeah,
0: yeah. But that's that's the incentive, right? That's when you incentivize. You know, follow the incentive. You always follow the incentive. Well, and, what is and, the
1: incentive for the government to grow? What's what is this incentive? I know they they can grow quite easily, yeah. but what's the incentive to grow?
0: Their budgets, man. Um, if you if you were to look at like when I was in the military, when I was in the Navy. Uh, every September, we were told because the fiscal year goes from October to the end of September, right? Mm-hmm. So we were told that if we didn't use all our money, we wouldn't get any more. We wouldn't yep. get this again next time, right? So same for so, us, yeah. So we would, so we, incent, we would be incentivized to find things that we need, even if we didn't need them, right? Um, and yeah, uh, normally in
1: our work, there's a big overtime drive at like yeah. kind of May time to start using up all the overtime money that they yeah.
0: hoarded. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's just kind of that's, that's the way it is. And at the end of the fiscal year, they try and find things to blow it on. And, and because if I can show that, you know, if I'm in this agency or this, this ship, this command, this department of whatever, um, and I can show that I have a need for more money and more employees, then I'll get a bigger budget next year. Right, and then of course that that increases that increase goes into pay raises and and other things like that. So that's the incentive because of their accounting practices, mm-hmm. um, whereas you know, for profit organizations don't don't run like that. Or yeah. At least at least they don't unless they have a government contract.
1: You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, would you consider government contractors an extension of the government for all Yeah,
0: yeah, un- yeah. It, I would. I mean, maybe you know they, they they deal with private you know private things like private HR and all that other stuff. But most of these government government contracts are are de facto monopolies anyway. Um,
3: mm-hmm.
0: You know, so the government a, almost sets up these yeah, kind of they just companies. set them up, yeah. And they, and so I, I would I would call it an extension. That's why I asked Kevin that question um, mm-hmm. because that's where my mind immediately went to was. Uh, you know one in five employees in America work for the state or federal government, but I'm sure it's probably closer to two in five two out of five if you included all the state, local yeah. and, and federal contractors you know
1: well does does the economy crumble temporarily if you, you know whenever you think of these contractors that are working for the government and then people working directly in the in the public sector um, you know how in your mind is the free market then? Come up with ways to get these people working, and you know, you think if you think of all these jobs that are just there, just government jobs and government contractors. Um, in your opinions, then does, will the free market come up with solutions? And I'll hear both your opinions on this. But, um, even Kevin, starting with you, then do you see then the, if these jobs disappear, where does it kind of come
2: from? Where do these other jobs then arrive from? Right. Well, again, I hate to beat the dead horse, but. I- we can't do things black and white overnight type of thing where you would cut all these jobs and have yeah. a huge yeah. homeless number because then all of a sudden they're going to be on welfare and they're going to expand the welfare program. We don't want to do that, obviously. So you have to find a happy medium of being able to almost amortize the transition where you start eliminating certain jobs and then providing free markets in those areas. Now, what areas would you start with? I don't know. That's a great question. Um, uh, I'm not as familiar with, with all these government contractors. I know they exist. I, I couldn't speak to it as what areas that they actually cover in though
1: yeah um no it's i'm just i suppose I'm not necessarily saying about if we were to cut them overnight, but um you know I guess the natural question people ask is, well, the government is keeping so many people in in uh employment, and if you were to start cutting these jobs and where like where, where the job's going to come from, but maybe you you have a perspective on this, but what what would then be the is well, it just the growth of other jobs that then start to figure out the same issues but without government intervention?
0: Yeah, I, and so I don't know what the answer is, honestly. Um, I, I know that there's probably, it's better to do an incremental approach and go little by little and move in a direction, uh, much much like how Kevin was talking. Um, because if you do anything quickly, you rip the Band-Aid off, there's going to be, there's going to be some yeah. pain and suffering, right? Like that's just, you know, so, so you get to a point where do you want to do a hard thing now or a cruel thing later? Cause ultimately we are going towards collapse. Um, the, the American economy specifically is going towards a collapse. And, and since the American economy is going towards collapse, I would say that venture venture an extension that the global economy is going towards collapse because it's all based off of the American dollar, the petrodollar anyway. Right. So, um, as we're going in that direction, do you want to do a hard thing now? Or do we want to deal with a cruel thing later? Because ultimately, they're all going to go away anyway. Government's going to fold. These jobs are going to go away. We're going to have mass inflation, mass welfare. Um, so do you, do you want to wait until we don't have a choice? Or do you want to try and do something mm-hmm. about it? Uh, so that's the that's big question everybody needs to know or needs to answer. Unfortunately, I don't think that a lot of people um, are economically literate to understand that. That's the question that we're being faced mm-hmm. with. Um, yeah. So, I mean, my, you know, I'm one of these guys ripped the band-aid off. It's going to be a rough ten or fifteen years, but we'll figure it out. Uh, well, it's the and, same with the crew you know, of our response. Yeah. Really,
1: people say about um, do you keep people locked up indoors for five yeah. years or yeah. do you let them people get exposed quickly? You know? Yeah, and it's well, it's
0: everything. You know, that's that, and so so that's my answer. Is I don't know what the I don't know what I don't know what my answer is, but I know that the the sooner the better, basically.
1: Mm on that uh, very sunny note, I think it's probably a good time to <laughs> to, to finish up. <laughs> you know, everyone's going to lose their jobs and uh, it's going to be a rough, <laughs> a rough period of time. <laughs> the next decade is just going to be hard, but I'm after so, that, I'm sorry, <laughs> bro. I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. And taxation stuff. That's another takeaway. So, we, well, both of you agreed on that, which is great. So um, there you go. But um, just to finish off then, um, do you guys want to let everyone know that's listening, where they can find your podcasts and your Twitter pages and all that stuff? We'll start with you, Kevin.
2: Oh, sure. Uh, you can actually have a website. You can head over to uh, com. That's com, And uh, on there, we, I do actually do multiple podcasts. I do the Libertarian Hour. I do the Daily Dirty 30 as well as whatever with Kevin. Awesome. And on Twitter, you are? Oh, uh, Kevin Lee Show
0: or at awesome. Kevin Lee Show. Q then, do you want to go ahead with yours? Nope. There we go. Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, thanks a lot. Um, I am Q. I am at Q underscore abolitionist on, uh, on Twitter. And uh, I have a show, a show account also. It's uh, at unshackled underscore L. Uh, so I have a podcast called Unshackled Liberty. And my co-host is Crypto Gumbo. If you wanted to follow him, he's at Crypto Gumbo and uh we it's just a libertarian variety show we spend a lot of our time on twitter mostly uh just kind of playing around with the other with the other uh, uh libertarian types over there and you know the anarcho types and um it's a good time mm. so uh, we I, we love the interaction um and uh, you know I, I i appreciate the opportunity to be on your show mm. to talk about oh, wow. uh, some of this stuff so thank you very much it's great to have you both and uh, just
1: to satisfy the NSA who may be watching this, are you affiliated with the Q regime?
0: <laughs> uh, oh yeah, no, I'm not, man. Uh, I, <laughs> so yeah, thanks for bringing that up. So that Q Q uh, is an interesting. I don't know if we, we talked a little bit about that earlier. I don't know if you caught it on the recording, but um, Q's an initial, man. You know, <laughs> like yeah. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think about the impact of the Q anon thing, and I, that's I yeah. have no affiliation with that whatsoever. That guy's a Fed. Anyway, <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I wanted to give give people a, a chance to hear from the horse's mouth before they see you dragged away in handcuffs for being an instigator or something. But uh, anyway, so yes, and I'm uh, at Josh underscore TTT for the two things, um, two things you shouldn't talk about podcast. And then I think our, um, the page for that show is at the two things pod I believe you can double check the link will be in the bio and I'll link these two guys as well for anyone who's listening. But, um, guys, it's been great to, to have you on. It'd be cool to do it again sometime. And I'm sure that we barely even scratched the surface of a lot of topics and we can go in a lot of different directions, but, uh, maybe someday, you know, we can, we can do another one and, uh, it'd be great to, to chat to you again, but thanks so much for, for coming on the show. And it's, it's been, it's been a fun time. Great. My thanks. pleasure. Thanks for Thank having me. Thank you us. very
0: much. Yeah. had a great time.
1: So, uh, thanks everyone for listening and, uh, yeah, until next week, um, join us again on the the two things you shouldn't talk about podcast, but, um, thanks so much for listening. Make sure uh, you subscribe and give us all a follow and uh, check out all these other wonderful podcasts, but, uh, thanks again and we'll see you next time.
0: Hey everybody! Thanks for listening to Unshackled Liberty. Now's the time where we have to pay some bills and 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 I guess what do they what do they say? Pay some bills, clean up shop. I don't know what. Is, what do you just kind of sweepers kind of, sweepers? Man, your brooms. <laughs> we just kind of pimp all your stuff, right? So like, yeah. so like if you wanted to, if you felt like you wanted to do this and you wanted to help us out financially, uh, we won't say no. Uh, you can go to Patreon.com/slash Unshackled Liberty, where we have a patch club. I think it's three dollars a month, and we'll send you our our. Uh, Send you our morale patch. It's like a Velcro patch you can put on your stuff. It's kind of dope. Um, if you it's like our if you like our show logo, you're gonna like the the uh, the patch because that's what it looks like. And uh, and then of course you can also support us at Anchor FM slash Unshackled Liberty. That's uh, those are the guys that actually put together or distribute the uh, the podcast for us. But you know what's cool about anchor.com? dot Nope, no no wrong one. Anchor FM slash Unshackled Liberty is you can leave a message for us. Um, I kind of think that's a cool thing. You can go in there. You can leave us a voicemail.
3: You should leave us some voicemail.
0: Yeah, and if it's cool, we'll play it, man. I mean, if you're dropping f bombs and you're like saying nasty stuff, we're just kind of like, thanks, but no thanks. But man, if it's, we'll if it's, laugh about it. But yeah, it yeah. We can't use it. Yeah, we'll we'll laugh between the two of us and, and whatnot. <laughs> but we're not gonna we're not gonna put it on the show. But man, if you leave us something funny, something stupid something intellectual right i don't know yeah. even something uh give us great. a message yeah we want to hear we'll, from you we'll, we'll where drop are it. you yeah who, who are, are you? you who are you yeah yeah and then of course um you've heard us do it before and we're, we're gonna keep doing it if you guys are musicians and you want to send us an mp3 of some of your original work um you can send it to unshackled.liberty at gmail.com yeah and uh
1: where's our bass players where's our guitars where's the keyboards? Yeah.
0: where's exactly. our flute players Hearts? where's our i want to jazz bagpipes jazz jazz, jazz
2: yeah. piccolo <laughs> even it doesn't matter anything we, we, we want to provide a platform for you creative people to, to express yourself
0: yeah dude if you guys play a mean ukulele let's hear it let's hear it so so there's that so you can send us that email uh we'll play it um so that's it right i think anything else we're missing you want to follow if you if we want to follow you on Twitter who 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 do we who do we follow there Gumbo
1: I am at Crypto Gumbo
0: on Twitter and I am at Q underscore Abolitionist and we have a show page at Unshackled underscore L and we're most active on on Twitter but uh, but you I, I have a little Facebook page that I almost never use and that's really just to distribute the uh, the the show on Facebook but if you guys wanted to follow us we're most active on Twitter. Um, and we'd love we to We also
3: have a Discord,
1: on Sheck of Liberty Discord, but uh, we still have to build upon it a little bit more, but it's still
0: there. It's kind of like entry-level, guys. You're dealing with, I mean, yeah, we're, we're Gen Xers, but we're kind of on the, kind of on like, uh, you know, we, we don't we don't understand a lot of that stuff, man. Shh. <laughs> not, am I not allowed to say that? All right. Oh, just joking. Man. All right. So anyway, hey, thanks for your listenership, guys. And uh, we hope to hear from you. Mahalo.